This is Chapter 108 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we take a fresh look at one of the most important days of the 20th century. Then we talk to an author whose new book will have women rethinking how they view themselves. We're fast approaching the 75th anniversary of D-Day, that day on June 6, 1944, when more than 160,000 Allied forces stormed the beaches of northern France and turned the tide in the war against the Nazis. There's no shortage of books that have been written about World War II. In fact, Alex Kershaw has written a few of them himself. But his latest book takes us along with the men who carried out some of D-Day's most perilous missions. Our Paul Murnane spoke with him about the first wave. I got kind of tired of reading military history books that read like very long Wikipedia entries. You know, I'm like, let's talk about the, the people that mattered, the people that actually had the greatest challenge that were most likely to get killed and had the most dangerous and important missions. And let's focus really tight on those those young combat commanders and show exactly what was involved and do it second by second in some cases. But to show just just how lethal and dangerous and how much guts it took and how skilled you had to be to pull it off. And I, I thought, you know, there's not enough books that actually celebrate the real heroes, the stars of the show, and I'm going to be unashamed about it. I don't care. I'm going to show you the guys that are the superstars here, and I'm going to show you what it really took to pull this off. Many of them kept this to a clear head and a focus, and you marvel at that, the ability to go in and do this and get the job done with everything that was going on around them. Sure, they were scared. Yeah, it was one case, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one case was uh, I came across which, I, which really moved me, it really affected me, it was a guy called um, Vito Padoni. He was a co-pilot of the very first American plane that flew across the English Channel and dropped the very first Americans into Normandy. And he said that the mission took around about three hours from taking off in England at 9.50 on June the 5th to coming back to England about 2 o'clock in the morning. He said it was only when he turned off the engine, when the wheels were on the ground of that plane, and he turned off the engine that he felt fear. And he said he, he remembered being absolutely petrified. But for the entire operation... He was so focused on the mission, so focused on the next thing that was going to happen, so focused on doing the job that he didn't have time for fear. And I think that was true of a lot of those guys. They, they were so, so pumped up, so determined, so hyper aware of what they needed to do next that it was only when the fighting stopped, you know, a lull in the fighting, when they could actually sort of get their heart rate down, when the adrenaline started to ebb, that they actually felt any fear. They were just so focused and so driven and so active. Yeah, they are dwindling in number, the number of men who were there and who lived this history. Uh, but you tracked them down and you had some conversations with them. Yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, hey, you know, I've been extremely lucky that I've spent the last 25 years of my life talking to working class Americans who changed world history, who liberated Europe. And uh, I've been writing about D-Day for 25 years. But, but this book, I was very fortunate to meet a couple of very, you know, really extraordinary warriors. One was a Frenchman who landed in the first wave with uh, 177 French commandos that actually liberated fought to liberate his own country yeah. from Nazi he was he might be Nazis. my favorite he might be my favorite um, uh, personality in the book I was going to say character because the book does kind of read a little bit 
um, almost like you're reading a novel about something. And then you, at times you have to kind of snap yourself too and say, my God, I'm reading about something that really happened. But he was really, he's, a, he's an amazing person. Yeah, no, Leon Gauthier, he's, uh, I think he's 96 years old and um, he was a, a French commando serving with the British. And he actually fought around about half a mile away from where he lives today, amazingly. So when I went to visit him, he had his Green Beret, the very, very proud owner of the British Green Beret, um, part of the British commandos. And there was an oil painting in his living room, and the oil painting was a scene of where he'd come ashore. And where he'd come ashore is where he walked every morning, which is only half a mile away. So you have a guy that invaded his own country on D-Day, a Frenchman that's actually living today, right now as I'm speaking. It's just half a mile away from where he... He fought his way ashore. Yeah, this is a recent interview you did with him. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I, I interviewed him a couple, two or three times in the last last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. How old? How old is he now? Oh, he must be ninety six, <laughs> ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah. The the youngest you could be is ninety two if you were yeah. eighteen on D Day. You can ask him how old he is. I'll leave that to you. I'm not that brave. <laughs> <laughs> Um, He's old. <laughs> do, is, is there a commonality? Um, do, do, is there something that they, they, they chalk up to the, the fact that they survived to? Yeah, luck. Pure luck. A bullet going uh, a millimeter one way rather than the other way. Luck, and in some cases God was looking after them. They prayed a lot. Luck and um, height. The uh, you know, If you're a tall guy, you're six foot two like me, you this French commander said that I would last about maybe five minutes. <laughs> being being five foot six and being able to crouch down really low with a Tommy gun made a big difference. Um, but mostly luck, you know, and they, um, they, they knew just how lucky they were to get away with it. And so many of their friends didn't. So many of them died. Your book really spares no um, expensive words on, 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 on the, the situations where it did not go well. Uh, there were some blunders. There were some tragedies. Uh, the men that you talked to, um, is it anything that stays with them, or is it anything that they're still angry about? There, there, there's no anger. I, I, you know, I've in the past I've experienced anger from relatives of, of guys that were killed on uh, on D-Day and Omaha Beach in particular. But none of the combat veterans that I've spoken to that were involved on D-Day have ever showed expressed anything, any any kind of anger at all. Um, there's sadness. There's immense pride. There's a kind of disbelief that they were lucky enough to have been involved in the greatest invasion in history and these amazing moments in in world history but no anger no just great great pride often mixed with sadness and and a, and a remembrance of those who didn't come back and a kind of a lingering guilt that they made it and others didn't and uh, a, a profound sense of how lucky they have been not only to have been there that day and played their part but to have survived and then to have spent, you know, the last 75 years um, being able to breathe, being, being alive. <laughs> 75 years on, if you want to know what it's like to be an observer on the beach on Normandy and D-Day, pick up The First Wave. Alex Kershaw on the line with us. Great book, and I appreciate your time, Alex. My pleasure. Thank you very much. I don't think there's a woman alive who hasn't, at least once, thought she wasn't thin enough or pretty enough or good enough. Am I right? Author Randy Susan Myers is well aware of those feelings and their power to eat away at our self-confidence. And even though she takes things to the extreme in her new book, Wasted, that's wasted with an I, she tells me she wants women to stop seeing themselves as a bunch of random, unsatisfactory body parts 
and focus on the whole. I found that this was an uncomfortable, sometimes brutal look at female body image and self-worth. I, I have to ask you, why did you feel the need to write it? Because so many women are made to feel uncomfortable and like they aren't worth anything because of their bodies. I think this is a um, topic that we wrestle with and are silent about. Is there a reflection of your own personal struggles woven throughout this book? Oh, absolutely. I don't think you could write a book like this without being aware of one's own struggles. I grew up um, with a very thin mother and a very thin sister, and I was not the very thin one in the family. And when I look back at pictures, I look absolutely perfectly normal. And I think about how I struggled, even as I was a completely average girl. So in this book, you have seven women who sign up for an extreme weight loss documentary. They're put through some pretty humiliating things in their quest to be thin. Do you really think that real life women would accept that level of humiliation and shame if it meant they could lose a few pounds? Well, I think there are two things that go on here in the book. One is that they do not know, think that they are signing up for humiliation. They think they're signing up for healing, um, self-worth kind of thing. So they're, they're fooled. So it takes a while for them to come to. But the other thing is if you've watched any reality shows along these lines, it's all too realistic. I think a lot of women are going to re-examine their inner dialogue after reading this book. I sure hope so. I, I, I knew that when I wrote this, I knew this book could be polarizing because we tend to skirt around the issue. And I've gotten really interesting letters from women who did, did early reads about how, my God, how did you get inside my head? Um, how did you know exactly what I was thinking? I think that we rarely talk about how much we brutally punish ourselves about every little um, defect that we uh, think we have. I wanted to ask what the feedback's been like. So you've, have you gotten both positive and, and negative, like critical feedback from people about what you've written here? Oh, absolutely. There are many people who are angry that I didn't, wasn't more um, celebratory of fat. And then others who were upset that I celebrated fat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think my job here is done. Uh, I really do think that there is no simple answer. We all look for a simple answer. And I in no way ever wanted to have my characters, whom I cared for so much, to go one way or the other. There is no one answer for women around body issues. The most important issue to me is what's the comfort level for me? And how do I understand that who I am is my whole self, body and brain and soul. And and I think, you know, we kind of experienced it through your characters who, even after everything they've been through, they're still body and weight, obsessed, conscious. Are we are we always destined to feel this way? Or is there a way to break this cycle? I think the, the, the way to break the cycle and the way that my characters are slowly breaking the cycle is A, a sense of understanding and facing it. Okay, this is this is my craziness. How do I cope with it the best way? What's what's my method? Um, and my two main characters both go a different, each go a different way, but they're finding the place that they can be less crazy about it. I think we start with less crazy and then move on from there. 
And and we touched on your childhood. Have you found a way to to make things less crazy? I have. Do you want to share your what would you've done, or is that a little too personal? Um, well, I will share, but I will say that it's not a answer for you know everybody's answer is their own. I did get to a point where I reached a weight that's comfortable for me, and I had my own really insane self way of doing it. Um, one is I do love to eat, and I have really learned the fine art of substitution. Um, things that I can eat when I need to do my emotional eating that satisfy me but aren't, you know, for me, so good that I just keep doing it. I have learned to, t- to the art of knowing I will eat again. <laughs> so that I don't have to eat everything right now. I will be allowed to eat again. But for me, there's a reward system that's going to sound a little crazy. I haven't told anybody this, Lisa, except um, my sister. Um, which is that I have a certain weight I'm allowed to be between, and for every four weeks that I stay within that, um, I get I give myself a reward. But that's my, you know, I don't try to foist it. I know that I'm only comfortable within a certain place. I celebrate. I actually do those who are comfortable in a different place. The question is, are you comfortable where you are? And I don't mean health. I think that I, I really mean, are you emotionally comfortable where you are? Right, and I think that's that's really the hard question for a lot of women. Oh my god! I hope this book ends up with a lot of women quest, uh, being open about this. And I don't even mind when I get some of the anger because I know it's such a sensitive. I mean, I prefer not to. Right. <laughs> I mean, who do, who wants people to be angry at them? But I understand what a sensitive topic this is. No, I you know reading the reading the book and then and reading some things that people have written. It's I always find that if you get people from both sides of the spectrum, it means you've done something right. Yeah, I think my uh, my best friend said to me, you know, when you make people either really engage when you make people engage, whether it's with anger or adoration, you you are writing something that matters. And I hope that's true. Um, this book was the hardest book. I, this is my fifth novel, and it was the one that tore at me the most. And I've written really intense topics from, you know, domestic homicide to affairs to uh, traumatic brain injury. This one really uh, was, while writing it, I wanted to eat all the time um, or never eat again. I had those same feelings while reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to cook, too, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> it hits you in in such a place. I think if you're a woman who's ever, you know, battled with weight or thought she wasn't good enough on how she looked, comparing herself to to the magazines and to the TVs and everything else, I think this this book really is is eye-opening and is worth, even if you don't talk about it with anyone else, the discussion that it opens within yourself is worthwhile. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I really try to I really try to put out those inside thoughts that we never usually do in my writing. Um, I, I call them the church lady moments where people I hope can go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> I've been there. I, I, th- I think you achieved that 100%. <laughs> Thank you so much. So next time around, are we a, a little bit of a less weighty topic, pun intended? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I think I'm done with this one. I, I, I think next time I want to look into, uh, I have uh, two ideas that are floating around that are so nascent, but I'm, uh, two ideas are fighting for primacy in my next novel. One is about, uh, but they both have to do with the power of women changing both the small society and the larger society. All right. Well, in the meantime, I, I recommend that every woman pick up Wasted. Randy Susan Myers, thank you for, for talking to us about it and for writing this book to, to really just, you know, get us in touch with our, our innermost selves. Oh, and thank you for a fantastic interview, Lisa. That's this week's show. If you looked at the calendar lately, you may have noticed the unofficial start to summer is right around the corner. And you know what that means. Beach reads. We unveil our first pick next week. Until then, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.